for some reason. Haven't felt sick at all, but amen. Not going to claim it. Praise God. Well, last week, last week we began a study on the topic of holiness. Really, it was an extension of the conversation that we had recently been having on consecration. And today we are going to continue in that same vein. And last week I had begun with a story about a king and his bride and how whatever belongs to the king belongs also to the queen. That she has access to the royal palace, the courtiers, the servants, the finances, the royal robes, that her position affords her access to things that she never would have had access to before. But it also requires things of her that never would have been required of her before she had been married to the king. See, this New Testament imagery that we see depicts the church as the bride of Christ. Now, we are married to Christ, that he is the creator of all things. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the holy one. And if you were not here last week, I, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to that message. And you're going to have to do so by podcast because our live stream feed, for some reason, got all mixed up and the sound is distorted. But uh, but I was speaking on the holiness of God. There's this uh, passage of scripture that's repeated many times throughout the scriptural text that says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And I said that in order to understand the be ye, you first have to understand the for I am, that God is holy. And when you understand his holiness, there is, there's a, an understanding that you, uh, un, that you get about how we have access to his holiness. That God himself is holy in a multiplicity of degrees, that God is holy in all ways, yet in his holiness, which separates him from everything else, everything else that's ever been created, God is, God is so far beyond any of that, yet he chooses to come near. He chooses relationship with his greatest creation. It's in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26, that God says to his people, and you shall be holy for me. For I, the Lord, am holy, and I have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. That God separated. He chose for himself a bride. And in so doing, God invites us into his holiness. He says, I am holy, and today I give you access to to participate in my holiness, which will separate you from all other people on the earth. And so we must grasp this deep and yet simple understanding that holiness begins and it must begin here. There's not other access points. There's not other entryways to really having an understanding of what true holiness is besides your relationship with God. That is where true holiness begins is in relationship with God. That is what God desires more than anything else. God desires relationship. 
And in relationship with him, as you become the bride of Christ, as you come into relationship with him, he, he, he extends, he says, look at the, the holiness, look at my separation. And I want to invite you in to this. I want to invite you into being separate from everything else because my, my bride shouldn't be like everything else around them, shouldn't be like all the other people around them. You are a called out people. You are my, you are mine. So if you're here this morning and you are just starting to seek out a relationship with God, I want to encourage you to do just that. Don't seek out a list of rules. Don't seek out a list of behavior modifications. Seek God first and foremost, and he will lead you. I believe that God, in seeking out relationship, that he will lead you down a path of holiness. And now someone might ask, well, why is it really even important to seek a holy life? Why, why is that important? Well, the writer of Hebrews tells us, it's in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. It says to pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. All throughout scripture, we see just how serious this concept of holiness is to God. There's, I could, I could point to so many different areas, but I'm, I'm going to try to just keep this to two different representations of the holiness of God and the, and the under, the, uh, importance of this concept of holiness to God. See, there's an angel that, uh, an angel of the Lord that appeared as a flame in the midst of the bush in the desert when Moses was there and, and Moses, he saw this bush that was burning and it was not consumed. And he says, I'm going to turn aside. I'm going to see this great thing. Why is this bush burning but is not consumed? And when the Lord saw that Moses' attention had turned aside and come to it, God began speaking to him from out of that burning bush. He said, Moses, Moses. Moses responded, here I am. And God said, draw not hither. But put off your shoes from your feet, for the place where you are standing is, that's right, holy ground. So wherever God is standing becomes holy ground. Wherever God is present becomes holy ground. I believe that if you have the baptism of the Holy Ghost today, then the ground where you are standing is the place, that's where the presence of God is at. It's holy ground. See, to Moses, God said, take off your shoes. You've been, you've been walking through the mud. You've been, you've been walking through the desert. You've been, you've been, you know, just chasing the sheep all day long. You've been, uh, you know, doing all these things that, that are just, you know, your everyday life. But I don't want you to bring the filth from all just going through life into this place where I'm at. All of, all that area of the desert where you've been walking, I know that where you're standing right now is still in the desert. It's the same desert sand. You know, before I came into this place, it was the same as any other desert sand that you'd walked on. But now I'm here, and so this is holy ground. And so I want you to take off your shoes. See, God, where God is present, there's, there's things that he would ask of his people as they come into a holy place, as they approach a holy God. Now, how seriously does God take holiness? <laughs> Belshazzar, he had made a great feast to thousands, 
of his lords and his, his subjects, his people. And they drank wine all night long, all day long. They were having this great big party. Now, Belshazzar, he was the son of the great king Nebuchadnezzar. He was the king of the Babylonian empire. And Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, he commanded on that night to bring the gold and the silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which was in Jerusalem. You know, Nebuchadnezzar, he had plundered the temple. When he went and he, he uh, ransacked Jerusalem, he, he came and he took captives. He also went in to the holy place, to the temple, and, and he took all of, all of the valuable things that he could find. And he, and he, brought, he had them brought back to Babylon. And now, now Nebuchadnezzar is dead, but his son, Belshazzar, is, is there, and he's the king now, and he is throwing this extravagant party, and he looks around, and, uh, and he sees all of his people, and he's like, man, the, what we're drinking from, from, this is like, I mean, this is the Dixie Cups. Let's, let's, let's get rid of the Dixie Cups, and let's bring in something that's a little bit more special for the rest of this party. And so he, he asks his people, he says, you know what, I, re, I remember seeing these cups that we had brought back from Jerusalem. Let's, let's go and get those goblets, and I want you to, to bring those in, and let's, let's use those for the remainder of this party. And so here they are. They're getting drunk. They're, they're having this great big party. They're going and they're getting all liquored up. They're, they're singing these praises to all these other gods. They begin praising the gods of silver and the gods of gold and gods of wood and gods of stone, all these things. They begin, it's just a terrible thing that, you know, as they're, they're doing this and they, they invited all of the gods to this party except for the one true God. I don't know if it hurt his feelings, but, but God, he did say, what you're doing right now is you are bringing something that is holy and you're profaning it. The Bible says that in this same hour that those holy cups, now understand that these cups which he had brought in, that these were the cups which had been formed, which had been made to be placed in the, in the house of worship. These were the cups that they had been formed. They had been created specifically for the use of worship in the holy temple. This was not just something that you bring out for a party. But these were holy cups. These were holy goblets. These were things that were set apart, separated unto God for holy use. And so it says, in the same hour that these cups had been brought out by Belshazzar, that all of a sudden, this hand appeared. They began writing on the, on the wall there where this party was taking place. And as these hand began to write on the plaster of that wall, the, the king, he, he looked up there and he didn't, he didn't understand. He didn't know what the language was that this was written in. I don't know if we, you know, if we began to think about, oh, uh, maybe, you know, all the great things that are being said of him. You know, maybe he won some award and the gods are coming to show him uh, how great he is for this big party that he's throwing. But uh, but he didn't understand it. And so there was somebody that uh, said, you know, I know somebody who might know what is written here. Go get Daniel. So Daniel is brought in, brought into the room. And the words that were written up there on the wall were, Meeny, meeny, tikal, eupharsin. And it means, as Daniel interpreted, he said, this means that Belshazzar, you have been weighed in the balances and you've been found wanting. And this 
very night, the Medes and the Persians are going to come and they're going to take you. They're going to take your kingdom down. See, that night, the Medes and the Persians, they had rerouted the Euphrates River, which ran right through Babylon. It was one of the reasons that this, that they could have the great gardens, the, one of the great wonders of the world, these gardens there in Babylon. But it, this river, it ran right under the gates. And usually, anytime somebody would surround Babylon, they were, they still had this great Euphrates River that could supply them with all the water and the food, all that that they needed. So they were never in trouble. But the Medes and the Persians, they rerouted the river. And in doing so, they were able to go under this dry ground now, under the wall. And they came in and they began to ransack the city of Babylon. And the Medes and the Persians came and they overthrew the greatest nation, the greatest empire that the world had ever seen to that point. And it happened within an hour, within an hour of them taking something holy and profaning it. God had brought something. God had brought destruction. He brought the greatest empire in the world down because they had taken something holy, these holy cups. And they just said, eh, we're just going to use this for a party. We're just going to use this for something that, you know, we can worship our gods with. These, these cups that God, God said, you don't, you don't bring something that is holy and, and desecrate it the way that you did. That God, he, I'm telling you, God, this is a serious matter to God. Holiness is a serious matter to God. God takes this very seriously. See, without holiness, you're not going to see God. Holiness, is it is an essential aspect of your salvation. And so, last week we talked about this bride imagery and in relation to holiness. And this morning, I really want to focus on another role that the church takes on, and that is the role of a priest. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, Peter writes here, he says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now you are the people of God, who you had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. See, Peter, he is writing this to a New Testament church. It's made up of both Jew and Gentile, but he's borrowing heavily from a similar statement that God had asked uh, Moses to deliver to his chosen people when they were at the base of Mount Sinai. This is a passage that in our uh, discussion on consecration we went back to several times. It's in Exodus chapter 19. I'll read that here in verse, beginning in verse 3. Moses, he went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall, stay, th- thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings, and I brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. See, the role of priest is as ancient as Adam and Eve. This is not something that started in at Mount Sinai, but rather this is goes back to the first man, that Adam, he was a priest in the Garden of Eden. 
He was able to draw near to God. He was this mediator between God and mankind. And after Adam's fall, we see this responsibility of the priest falling upon the firstborn son of each family. That the firstborn son, it was their responsibility to be this mediator between God and man. That was the priestly duty. But at Mount Sinai, there was a shift. It was God's desire to make the entire nation of Israel into priests. Now that would mean that he would draw near to each and every one of them, that they could enter into his presence and they could worship him with sacrifices and offerings, that they could experience what it was like to meet God face to face. They could experience that for themselves. That was God's desire. But the people rejected the idea. The people, they said, they were scared of God. They, they thought, this is going to be a whole lot better if we just have a select group among us take on this role. So God obliged. He chose Aaron, the older brother of Moses, to be the high priest. Only Aaron's sons and their offspring would ever have an opportunity now to step into the holy of holies where God's glory would be present. Now, beyond the high priest, you had the ordinary priests as well. And it was their responsibility to serve as God's representatives in his house. They were the ones who would offer up the sacrifices on a daily basis. They were the ones who would make sure that there was, uh, there, there was incense that was always burning on the altar of incense. It was their responsibility to make sure that there was oil in the lampstand so that the fire continued to burn. It was their responsibility, really, even to teach all of Israel about who God was. It wasn't just about the things in the temple, but they had the responsibility to teach others about God. From the priests, we learn that holiness really means nearness to God. The priests, they are sometimes referred to in Scripture by this Hebrew word, kerobim. It means those who are near. That comes from this root word, karo, this, this uh, uh, Hebrew word, karo, Q-A-R-O-H. It's this term that was used in that day that designated an official who could have, who could have access to his sovereign directly. He could walk right up to his king without having to have somebody else come to him. It was those special individuals who they could just come right into the place of the king. They didn't have to go through some intermediary source, but, but it was somebody who had direct access. And this is the same role that a priest would play in relation to God and his people, that they could come to God directly. Now, beyond the priests, you had the Levites. And I know I'm getting kind of technical here this morning on a Sunday morning, but the, uh, bring it back real quick. The Levites, they were the offspring of Levi. They would serve in conjunction with the priests. Now, the priests themselves were Levites, but the Levites as, as a whole, not all of them were priests. But from the Levites, you had these roles that they would take on as the gatekeepers. They were the ones who were the temple musicians. They were the bearers of the burdens. They would carry, when it was the tabernacle, they would carry everything. And you had the, jan- they were the ones who were the janitors of the sanctuary. And these three roles, the high priest, the ordinary priests and the Levites. These were God's holy personnel. The holiness of God, we see it displayed very clearly and directly through, through the distinction of who these people were and the things that were asked of them to be a holy people. Now, now understand that all of Israel was, was called to be holy. 
All of Israel was called to be separated from the people among them. But there was a matter of degrees to the holiness in which those who served in these capacities, that they had to be separated even more so. There were even greater things that were asked of them. But in doing so, what it was doing was it was putting on this display of of the fact that God is a holy God. And those who come in access and direct access to this holy God, they must be separated and different from everybody around them. You can't just be like everybody else in the world and serve a holy God and come into contact and and, and to worship a holy God. Now, remember, it was at the at the Mount Sinai where God's real desire was to have all of Israel be a kingdom of priests. For all of them to be a holy nation. It was that was God's desire. Now that wouldn't really happen. Until Jesus became the great high priest, and, and then the church that we could become a royal, a holy nation and a royal priesthood. That's what Peter called us. That we are now able to fulfill the very thing that God's desire was for his people back in Mount Sinai to fulfill. That now we do have direct access to God. That we do fulfill as the church do fulfill the role of a priest. And there is a, a, a calling, an expectation of holiness that God has for his people. He's saying, I want to call you out. Your minds cannot be having the same thoughts as you had before you came to me. Your actions cannot be the same as they were before you came to me. The way that you talk cannot be the same as before you gave your life to me. That now you are a royal priesthood. Now you have access to me as a holy God. And I'm calling you to live out from among them. Be ye separate. Now one of the responsibilities of a priest was, this is Old Testament priest, one of the responsibilities was to identify diseases. Not every disease, but, but certain diseases. And leprosy being chief among them. Now, if you have studied scripture, you, you understand that leprosy is this type and shadow of, of sin today. Leprosy was, of course, a real disease that they dealt with, but we see that in many ways having this, having a relationship, uh, or mirror, mirroring what sin does in our life. So Leviticus chapter 13, it, it reveals to us these laws of leprosy, and, and this is God, He's instructing the priests on how to identify leprosy on a person's body. And I'm going to go uh, to the end of that identification process. It's in Leviticus 13, verse 43 through 45. It says here, that the priest shall examine it, and indeed, if the swelling of the sore is reddish white on his bald head, or on his bald forehead, as the appearance of leprosy on the skin of the body, then he is a leprous man, he is unclean, and the priest shall surely pronounce him unclean. His sore on his head, or because of his sore on his head. Now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare. And he shall cover his mustache and he shall cry unclean, unclean. See, the priest pronounced him unclean because this plague was now in his head. Now whenever you get leprosy, at its end... 
it gets to your head. The leprosy, it can start out in, in any area of your body. It might start out on your toes. It might start on your hands. But in the end, where leprosy ends up is in your head. And when it gets to your head, that's when you're a full-blown leper. It's at that point that it says you need to cry out, unclean, unclean. You're, you're cast out of the city. You are, you've become a, one who lives among the lepers, the leper colony. Before that, somebody might be able to hide their leprosy. Now, you're still supposed to go to the, the priest. You're still supposed to go and get this taken care of. But somebody might be able to hide the leprosy for a while until it gets to the head. But at that point, when it gets to the head, that is when it has to be dealt with. Now, as I said, leprosy is this type of sin. That ultimately, sin in our life, we can, we can be really good at hiding sin in our life. You can, be, you can get really good at, at having things in your life that nobody knows about or only a few people know about. And, and there's, there's, you know, for us, we can, we can hide these things, but, but eventually if you left, if you leave these things untended to, if you, if you just leave this and, and you don't try to take care of the sin, eventually it's going to get right up here to your head. It may have started in this, as this really small, insignificant thing in your estimation, but eventually, if left alone, that sin, that, that attitude that I don't need to take care of this is going to get right up here in your mind. And that's why Peter said, we read this verse last week, Peter said first, in 1 Peter 1, 13, Therefore, gird up the loins of your minds, be sober, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Be, or as obedient children, don't conform yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. So Peter, he's reminding us to gird up the loins of our minds. Don't let your mind just be free flowing. Gird it up. Take a hold of it. Get this thing girded up because the loins, I mean, this is the place, the, the, your loins are where things are birthed. This is where the things, where, where creation takes place. They're a place of reproduction. These, this is where things are born. Is it born? Is in your loins. So things, the things, you have loins in your mind. You have, this is a place where things are born, where thoughts are born, where thoughts are created right here. And in Exodus, Exodus chapter 28, when we become privy to these, these details of the high priest, so I was talking about the priest. The high priest, it tells us all of the garments that the high priest needed to wear. And we could go in, there's all these details, it goes into great detail in every one of these articles of clothing. But I just want to point to one thing that was very specific, and they would say is uh, that it, it, this was the most important article of clothing, most important thing that the high priest would put on, and it's attached to the forehead of the priest. Rather, it's attached to the, to the hat that he would put on that would be placed upon the forehead. And this headdress, it was called the mitre. And it tells us in Exodus chapter 28, verse 36. It says, Thou shalt make a plate of pure gold, engrave upon it like the engravings of a signet. It says this, holiness to the Lord. Put that on the blue lace and, and make 
uh, and, and attach it to the miter. Upon the forefront of the miter it shall be. It shall be upon Aaron's forehead. That Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel shall hallow in all of their holy gifts. It shall be always upon his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. This gold plate was to always be upon his forehead that he would, could be acceptable to the Lord. It was this gold plate that was attached to this hat that he would put on, this miter. And it was situated right there in his forehead. It says, holiness to the Lord. He didn't wear this on his chest. He didn't, he didn't put this on his arm. He didn't have this just like hanging on some chains. He didn't have some chains that he's wearing into the temple that says, holiness to the Lord. He had this at all times as he's ministering to the Lord right on his forehead. Holiness to the Lord. See, if you want to, if you want your sacrifice to be acceptable to the Lord, then you have to have this, his holiness right up here in your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. You, you need to have a plate of holiness right up here in your brain, right up here in your mind, because that is where everything starts. So this morning, this is really what I'm trying to get to is that, is that when we come to a place of holiness, it, it's got to start right up here. Everything, it begins right on the, right up here in the mind. Because if you can get it in your mind, then everything else begins to change. Everything else is filtered through this, through this, uh, filter of holiness unto God. Gotta have it in your forehead. See, the sin that you have in your life, you can, just like, just like that leprosy, it might start as, you know, some other area and left untended to, it eventually gets to your head. By the time it gets to your head, then you're a full-blown leper. By the time it gets to your head, it sins the exact same way. That you, you, leave, this, you leave this sin alone. You, you allow yourself to just, just be just like everybody else. You allow yourself to just act like the world, act like, you know, blend in with the world. You've never, you don't ever change the way that you live. You never change the places that you go. You never change the, the TV, television shows that you watch and the things that you, you look at on the internet. You never change any of that stuff. And you, you're just like everybody else. And you, you, you act like them. You talk like them. You blend in. There's no difference between you and the world. There's, there's all of that. What eventually, all of that is going to get right up here in your mind. And it's going to cause your mind to get so distorted that the word of God for yourself, you feel it becomes a lie. You don't allow the word of God to truly transform you. But if you can get holiness in your mind, if you can get this planted in your mind and have an understanding. Now, what do I mean holiness in your mind? I mean that you make a decision that if God says it, that's the only filter that I need. And if God is speaking to me on this issue, and if the word of God speaks on this issue, then, then that's the only filter that I need. And I, it's going to go through my mind first, and I'll, I'm going to allow that to determine everything else that I do. That holiness needs to be something in our thought process. That before that leprosy gets to your forehead, you need to gird up the loins of your mind. You need to put that hat on that says, holiness to the Lord. Now, Holiness to the Lord, it, holiness, it, it needs to be grasped 
intellectually. It needs to be grasped and where you have this understanding and this, this knowledge of it. You, you can't just get holiness in your mouth or your tongue. You can't just have this list of rules that you say, okay, I'm going to do this and this. I'm going to check these boxes. And as long as I do that, then I'm all right. It's not about checking the boxes. <laughs> it's not about living according to these, this person's rules or that person's rules. It's about, let me get this, as I talked about last week, through relationship, and through relationship, I get holiness in the mind where I say, God, if you say it, then I'm going to do it. I don't get to determine for myself what holiness looks like. God determines that for me. See, it needs to come from the inside out. Now, you'd be a whole lot better off if you would just get holiness established in your mind right now and never allow sin to take root. Don't allow that leprosy to just creep upward toward the place that it destroys you. Because when you get holiness in your mind, that's the place where decisions are made. It's the place where your affections and your emotions are at. And if you, if you allow sin to take root, it can get a hold of your affections and your emotions. And it can cause you to look at things really distor- in a really distorted manner. Your mind is where moral issues and values are determined. Right there in your head. It's the place of judgment. It's the place of conclusion. It's, your mind is where all of this takes place. And so if you can, if you can establish first and foremost that, that I need to filter everything through the lens of God, through holiness, then all of that other stuff is not going to be determined, be determined by the lens of the world and the lens of sin and a distorted mind where I've allowed sin to come in. See, these are the choices that we need to make as a priest, as a holy nation and a royal priesthood. That we have holiness established in our mind. Maybe I could reaffirm this just one more time of getting this in your mind. It's in the book of Matthew that it says that they came to a place called Golgotha. That is to say, the place of the skull, because up there on that hill was the place where people died. That was the hill, it was just outside of Jerusalem where, where they would go and they would have all these crucifixions. This is where capital punishment took place. And this is the area where Jesus was taken to be crucified. It was there on Golgotha. Now they say, not only is this you know, a place of the skull because, because it's littered with, you know, all the blood and these things, you know, people's, uh, people dying there. But, but if you actually look at the hill of Golgotha, I haven't been there myself, but, but I'm told that if you look at this from a certain angle, it even appears to be a skull. It has, has different out, rock outcroppings and things that, that give it the appearance of a skull. And that was where Jesus was crucified, was right there on the place of the skull. Now, Golgotha, here, here it is, the place of the skull, your head. And it's the place where, where, where does holiness need to be at? Right there in your head. Now, that cross, when it was, when Jesus went up onto that cross, when he was crucified, that cross went right down into the place of the skull. That cross came right down into the place where holiness needs to belong. It's the place where your decisions and your choices are made. Jesus Christ, he was taken to the place of bad choices and he was crucified there so that you, just as 
Paul would write, you might have cried, you, you might crucify your flesh the affections, and all of, all of these things, and, and allow Jesus Christ to come right down in the place where your bad decisions were made, and now you've replaced it with an aspect of holiness, a filter of holiness. I, I want the cross to be planted right down in, into my mind. I want the cross to come right down into that place, my skull, that the place where, where all of my decisions are made. See, it's a play, it's a filter that says it's okay to be different. It's okay to stand out. It's okay that God has asked me to come out from among them and be separate. It's okay. Because in so doing, what I'm doing is I'm coming into relationship with God. I am, I am coming into communion with Him, the one who died for me and musicians that you can come. So I'm wrapping up here this morning. You have to understand, there's always choices to be made when you're living a life of separation. God is separating you. It, it, it severs you and it, it makes you different from everyone else. You better, better get that in your mind because it's a choice that you make. You decide that you are going, to, you decide when you get up in the morning, Am I going to just try to blend in? Am I going to try to just live the same life that I always lived? Or am I going to live a life of holiness today? A holiness, it comes, it's, it's really the decision is made when you say, I'm going to come into relationship with Christ today. That's where the decision really comes, is when you say, God, hide me in you. God, let, let me come, let me come into, into just, Bask in your presence this morning. You begin your day with prayer. You begin your day in the Word of God. Then you're begin. You're setting your affections on the things of God. That's why it says in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Let your bodies be holy and acceptable unto God. That's just a reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that... You may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Let your mind be renewed. Let your mind be transformed. Let your let your attitudes, let, your, let everything in us be transformed because I came in contact with Jesus Christ. Because I know him now and he's transformed me. In my mind, I don't think the same thoughts that I used to think. I don't allow the same, uh, same paths that I used to go on to, to, to myself. I don't allow myself to go down those same paths. The same emotions that I used to allow just to take over my life and, and you know, let somebody you know, just hear my mind. You know, spill, you know, spill myself onto them, the bad day that I've been having, and just allow that to overflow in somebody else. No, no. Now I want to rein all that in and allow the Holy Ghost to help me to regulate. He's a mind regulator. He's a mind regulator. Now it truly helps when you do as Paul writes to the Philippians in Philippians 4, 8. And he says, finally, brother, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, and whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, 
think on these things. <laughs> so as we stand here this morning, as we close this out, let's think on those things. Let's try to arrest our mind and just, just allow God to you know, be invited into a place right here where holiness would be in our mind. There's an internal, this internal aspect of holiness that, that God, He desires for us to process things through Him. He desires for us to process things through His filter. And so today, I just want to invite Him into my mind this morning that, that tomorrow when I wake up, that, that my mind it would, it would process things in a godly way. God, I pray that you would help us here right now, Lord, as we as we enter into this place of praise. God, we enter into this place of worship, Lord. That first of all, God, our minds would be established on you. Our minds would be set on you. God, I pray that you would that you would get into our minds, God, the things, God, that uh, that, that we have allowed this world to distort in our minds, processes that this world would would get us to think differently. God, that I pray, Lord, that we would, that we would allow you to come in and that you would renew some minds here today. Lord, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let us take on that mindset. Lord, that thing, Lord, that we would go about our day understanding, Lord, that it's okay to be different. It's okay to be called out. It's okay to be separated. For you have called us to be a holy nation. Amen. Why don't you just lift up your hands? We're going to a song of worship. I am washed. I am 